You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jerry, here it is, 2018, our first episode. First of all, Happy New Year to you, man. Happy New Year to you. I'm, I'm feeling rested, revived. Yeah, I was going to say, go. last time we talked, you were, in, uh, you were in Maui talking on Skype. So you're looking very tan. Jerry, congratulations on that. You stand out a little bit as a result. Believe me, it won't last for long. <laughs> uh, were you able to actually relax a little bit when you go to Hawaii, or are you still kind of half the brain thinking about baseball? You know, a, a couple of years ago, it, the, the part of the reason why we moved so quickly in the offseason is so that I can absolutely unplug it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it's a, it, it, a couple of years ago, I actually thought to myself during the time in Hawaii, I'm not going to take the phone with me everywhere I go. I'm going to try to do the best I can to, to just stay as unplugged as I can. Inevitably, you have conversations. You come up with ideas. Typically, I get up before my family or, or generally will stay up a little later. And, you know, it, th- those are my thinking work times. And during the day, I just try to sell out to the beach. You bring up the cell phone, and it reminds me of a question that I meant to ask you when we talked to you from the winter meetings. I kind of have this vision of a group of call it five or six general managers huddled in the corner at the winter meetings, not talking about player trades, but talking about the best external batteries for their cell phones or the best chargers. I mean, I have to think that this is something that's actually a topic of conversation amongst men in your line of work. It's, it's actually usually we're talking about the best places to eat in each city. <laughs> that have a place where you can charge your cell phone simultaneously? That's right. That's right. Sometimes you're going to get the Triple D crew or the Yelp crew, okay. and other times you're, you're looking more for Michelin stars. And, and uh, you know who you're dealing with in each, in each instance, and you try to hook yourself up for the best restaurants you can get to in each big league city. Hey, did you know that there's – you probably did. Why am I even asking this? That there's a there's a diners, drive-ins, and dives app. No, am I aware? You're all over this. Oh, I, I survive on it. Okay, really? Okay. Yeah. I, I will actually I will actually let, allow my travel to be defined by which spots on the Triple D app are nearest to me. The little pins. Seriously. Okay. So for people who don't know, it's called Flavor Town. I think yeah. is the name of the app, and it chronicles every place where that show went, and it has like the full review, of course, and. I don't know. You might even be able to watch some clips on the, on the app. I don't remember. But it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. If you, it's the show in your pocket all the time. What's your favorite Triple D restaurant? Can you remember? Uh, a place called Italian Delight in Providence. It's, it's just outside of Providence, Rhode Island. So in years past, when we go into Boston, it's about a 35, 40-minute ride from Boston uh, on the way to Pawtucket. Yeah, you know, is is the the general ballpark? It is awesome. It's of the triple D places. That is my favorite. All right, McCoy Stadium, go Postdocs. Very nice. All right, well, uh, hey Jerry, we are we are six weeks away from spring training. It, once the calendar flips over to twenty eighteen or to the new year, I should say, do, do you kind of flip it into a different gear of okay, now this is. We can really see spring training is coming. Opening day is just kind of around the corner. What's it like when the calendar flips to the new year for you? You know, for the most part, it, the, the heavy lifting and, and putting together your roster is done most years. And, and this year is not 
any different. The heavy lifting and putting our roster together is about done. We're putting together our invitation list for spring training and starting to line up who's going to meet us down in Peoria. We're trying to look at those last, you know, kind of the survivors of the minor league free agent market and who you might be able to add on the periphery who gives you a chance to create more depth. And now, you know, we're going through a series of coaches meetings with Scott and the staff, and they're coming in going through kind of the daily routines in spring training. What we're going to do in the educational seminars in the early morning, how we're going to handle our time on the field with instruction in the mid-morning, and then what we do when we get the players kind of geared up and ready to play. Because as you may have looked, we have fewer days in spring training this year ramping into games than we've ever had in, in my career. So we've got about eight days to get these guys ready to go. And, and that's not a heck of a lot of time when you have a lot of new ideas or, or philosophies you're trying to implement. Now, will that be the norm going forward, or is that just isolated to 2018, or do you not know? I don't know yet. Um, my guess is it's a little bit more the norm moving forward. Last year was quick, and we, we assumed it was largely due to the fact that the, the WBC was in play. This year it's quick with no WBC, so maybe that just means it's going to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of night games for fans. Is they're making their maybe some airline reservations right about now or looking at hotels to maybe come down for a week or so at spring training? A lot more night games this year for the Mariners. Is that by design? Yeah. Yeah, it is by design. We actually did that on purpose. One of the few things that we can, you know, greatly affect is our spring training schedule. The regular season schedule is defined by Major League Baseball. We have some input, but not a lot of ability to to move things around. In spring training, we're attempting to to do a better job of rest and recovery by scheduling night games which will allow us to start a little later in the day that's a little more fan-friendly, where we're not asking the, the fans to show up for 7.30 in the morning stretch and, and work into workouts. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably see the players get out to the field a little more uh, closer to 10 o'clock than, okay. than 8 o'clock, and we'll put ourselves in position to be ready for, for game time at 1 and still get our work in. And, you know, for the most part, the night games, and off the top of my head, I don't know how many there are, the night games allow us to let the players get a little bit more morning rest, get on the field closer to midday, and get a lot of actual work done in the mornings, uh, whether it be in the cages with Edgar and Scott Brocious, whether it's it, it's out in the infield with Manny, et, et cetera. It's on the bases <laughs> where we'd like to, you know, focus not just our, our base runners either, but only, but our pitchers, you know. What we've not done the last handful of years is we've not really controlled the running game as pitchers. So the only way you have a chance to work on those things is if you have practice time. And the only way you have practice time is if you create a schedule that allows it. So we're trying. Since you bring up the base running, the base running was obviously a problem this past season. Uh, how do you go about addressing that in season? We know that in spring training you kind of have these pockets of time where you can really focus on it. But once, man, once opening day starts, how do you do that? That's the challenge for baseball, really, as opposed to any other sport. We are the only sport that has a ratio of game to practice the way we do. You know, for instance, the, the NFL plays on Sundays, you know, six days a week or roughly 300, you know, 55 days a year, 50 days a year. They are practicing and the rest of their time is, is game speed. One of the fascinating elements of, of practice first game is, you know, Japanese high school baseball. You may practice for 364 days in a year to play one game. No. Yeah, it's the way it goes. They don't play a regular season schedule. They practice in preparation for the Koshien tournament, and then every team in the country goes to a tournament 
And if you lose, you're out. <laughs> so you may your high school career, in theory, could consist of four games and four years of practice to make it happen. So you know whether it's it's soccer, it's football, it's basketball, hockey. The ratio of practice to game is so much different in baseball because we're playing. 30-ish, 30, 32 spring training games coupled with 162 regular season major league games, not counting what you hope is a postseason, you're at almost 200 games before you even get to the point where you enter the postseason. And what you can't do on those game days is you can't overstress the player with a lot of extra work. So most of what we do with base running is going to have to be in conversation or during those five weeks, six weeks of real work time in spring training. Not to skip ahead to something that we oftentimes talk at the very end, but it is topical here when we kind of break down a more of a saberish stat. But, you know, Fangraphs has a stat that will basically, it tries to encapsulate the quality of base running for a player. And with the struggles that the Mariners had last year, there were a lot of fans uh, who were pretty dialed into Fangraphs who wanted to throw those numbers around either for the team or for individual players. And... I kind of struggle with wondering, can you really encapsulate the successes or failures of a base runner in a stat? Uh, There have to be more aspects to it than what maybe meets the common person's eye. Can you tell us about that stat and how much weight you might put into it? You know, we do put some weight into it, but just like defensive metrics, I think it's, it's evolving. So if we look at defensive metrics 10, 12, 15 years ago, they were largely ignored because they were still in their infancy and people were trying to understand them and if very smart people you know mathematicians sabermetricians were trying to create an effective formula that told the story the bsr number on, that you see on fan graphs or similar type statistics that govern base running they have merit there, there's a lot of there's a lot that you can learn from from those numbers but for the most part, we'll try to keep track internally of a hitter's ability or a, a base runner, you know, the hitter-runner, we'll call him, his ability to move multiple bases at a time, the first to thirds. Sometimes just pushing the other defense makes a difference, and you don't have to be particularly fast to make it happen. So we'll keep track of successes and failures in that regard. We're going to keep track of the, the total number of outs on the bases, Self-inflicted wounds, we'll call them. Things that don't need to happen, you know, particularly of, of damage, are when you are the, 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 the trail runner uh, on, a, on a play where a relay is coming in from the outfield and you get lost in the play. You're coming around first base and you find yourself just wandering. We as, a, as a, an industry, particularly us as a team, we're going to give up 10, 12 outs a year just simply on getting backpicked but with a cutoff man cutting down the runner coming around first base who was going roughly nowhere. There was nowhere for him <laughs> right. to go. And it's just a matter of paying attention. BSR does encapsulate a lot of what happens on the bases outside of just simply stealing bases, and it's still an evolutionary stat that I think has it has a long way to go before it's precise, but they generally get them in the right order. And I think the most important thing you're doing when you're looking at, at any kind of sabermetric is it, with, the, with the eyeball. You're looking, and when you see, for instance, the, the top pitchers in the league, and, and you're looking at the top five or six guys in terms of war value for pitchers, and you see names like Chris Sale and, and Corey Kluber and Clayton Kershaw and, and the like, eh, that's a pretty good chance that they got it right. You know, right. That, that's, yes. that's who's supposed to be near the top. 
And similarly on the bases, when you look at the base runners and you see at the top of those lists, Billy Hamilton and Dee Gordon it, and Jose Altuve, that's pretty much the way it's supposed to look. And, and, you know, what we have to wrap our heads around is that sometimes the better base runners in the league are not the fastest runners in the league. It's, it's the most astute or the most attentive. Like Mike Napoli strikes me as a guy like that. Is that fair? I mean, he seems like... He's attentive. Yes, exactly. Yes. Not a fast guy. You would never look at Mike Napoli and go, that's a great base runner. But... Everybody who's a part of the game who knows about these things always say that Mike Napoli is this tremendous base runner. Tremendous base runner. You know, guys in my generation, Jeff Bagwell was not the fastest guy in history, but he was a great base runner. You know, and there's some guys that could really run, a Robbie Alomar, a Paul Molitor, who were fantastic base runners. But the guys who really make a difference are the guys with the the, the, the big power guy who is sneaky on the bases, a Bagwell. You know, Scott Rowland was that way, just a great base runner and, and probably don't get enough credit for what they did. Carlos Beltran, another one, just a yeah. tremendous base runner. And, you know, giving up outs on the bags, it's a waste. It, it, you're giving the, the opponent free outs. And maybe more importantly, as a, as a team, if we are able to pick off one of their runners, if we are able to cut down one on a, on a backside of, a, of an advance to second base, that's one less time in a game that you potentially have to face Mike Trout. <laughs> right. <laughs> or no, yeah, you know, it's, it's one out you don't have to get against a real hitter. You mentioned a few moments ago that, your coaching staff is here right now currently and uh, meeting with Scott, and those are kind of Scott's meetings, but I know you're in and out of those. Can you tell us a little bit about what's being said, what's being discussed and all that? Uh, they're, they're right now going through the, the preparation for a spring training day, how we're going to set up our spring training day. Uh, meeting started yesterday. We're our pitching people, Brian DeLunis, our new bullpen coach, Jim Brower, our second pitching coach, Mel Stottlemyer, Scott, our analytics crew and our advanced scouting crew are all taking part in the meetings these this last 24 hours. Uh, this morning we implemented our infield people, Manny Acta and Scott Brocious. And then come this afternoon, we'll add the offensive crew, Chris Prieto, Edgar Martinez. And over the course of three days, we will have covered everything everything we're doing from an instructional standpoint. What we want to impart on the players when we get to spring training, we will have gone through at least a brief overview of each player that's coming to camp uh, in in less detail than we'll do once we get to Peoria but just generally sizing up the way our roster looks now looks right now what holes we have left to fill where the areas of depth are a concern and and then how we're going to take advantage of those three hours a day that you have to work because Three hours a day times the five or six weeks that we're going to be down in spring training is about what we have to try to execute the best practice we can for the season. You know, Jerry, a lot of people who have been to, let's say, Seahawks training camp or an NFL training camp, we all know the guy with the blowhorn, the whistle, the stopwatch, the clipboard, barking orders, going from one drill to the other. I mean, you mentioned three hours a day, limited amount of time for a lot of men to get their work in. I mean, Are we going to see that quality control coach with the blowhorn on the backfields of Peoria? Is this like with the, the Rydell shorts yes. and the, the, the high socks? Yeah. Yes, it's exactly yeah, it's right. Funny. I've never heard a question like that before. Um, <laughs> so we have, we have a series of fields on the backfields that we use. Each field has a, a, a person in charge, a commander among the coaches. You know, when we're doing infield drills, it might be Manny Acta running that field. When we're doing offensive drills, it could be Edgar running that field. And each of them understands that they, they all have synchronized watches 
which is do they really? It it actually happens. They synchronize their watches. This is like like in the, in, the, in the clubhouse before they go out there. Three, two, one. Bam. Correct. Okay. <laughs> and they will make sure each each exercise is going to be timed. And inevitably, if we're running five different fields with five different exercises, four coaches are going to be on time, and one will be notoriously late. And and or one will be notoriously early, like the, the teacher everybody loves that yes. lets you out five minutes early. And inevitably, those players wind up lingering or meandering onto somebody else's field, and it looks like shoddy chaos. So we, we try to, to maximize the time on the field by synchronizing the watches. The coaches generally do a great job of it. My favorite station is the the TV commercial station the in the afternoons, which is fabulous, where we'll just sequester a single field, and that's when Mariner's magic happens. Of course. Uh, on the TV, which is fabulous, when you get to see 50 takes of Edgar <laughs> dropping the bat. <laughs> now, that must have been a pretty fun one to watch, right? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure he hit 50 consecutive home runs, but they couldn't get the, the exact right mic drop. You know, uh, Mitch Haniger had a great interaction on Twitter. This was a couple of weeks ago at this point. Uh, with uh, I forget if it was a fan or if it was somebody of note about Edgar and how he is in awe. It was basically talking about Edgar and the Hall of Fame campaign, right? And Mitch was in awe of how seamless it is when Edgar steps into the batter's box like he's been taking batting practice every day of the year, right? I mean, it was really cool to hear, uh, especially such a young player who, I don't know, maybe didn't see a ton of Edgar growing up, maybe he did, uh, to have such high praise for a sitting coach like that. It was pretty, and to take to it to social media like that was pretty interesting. That's fun, you know, because I think, I, I believe Edgar's birthday, uh, 55 years old. Yeah, and so just happened. 55 years old. Uh, he is, he can walk into a batting cage with no prep, no loose, he won't, it will not stretch, won't get loose, and he'll just grab a bat and hit a line drive somewhere and, uh, and just do it over and over and over. And it's, it's really, it's almost like riding a bike watching what he does. It's the, he does, I can go in there and hit a couple of balls off the top of the screen and foul <laughs> one off. And he will go in there and just hit rocket after rocket into a gap. And, you know, it was, I say it comically watching the TV commercials film last year, where if you'll recall the commercial where we went back through the, uh, the, the Edgar mic drop, right? Uh, which was, I thought, a great, it's a very creative idea. He literally hit every single ball on the screws when they were doing the really? different takes in that, in that scene, and I thought it was just fabulous. That's fantastic. Hey, let's switch gears a little bit to this offseason around baseball in general. Uh, it has been a really, in fact, it's given us a lot of time, uh, us and the national media, to talk about Hall of Fame candidacies, including Edgar, because it has been such a slow-moving offseason in terms of free agents. What do you make of that? I, I, honestly, it is what it is. We, we said months ago, I, I didn't think this market had anything to do, or the, the, I guess the pace of the market had nothing to do with Giancarlo Stanton or Shohei Otani. Uh, the market had to do with the the pace of play among major league clubs. There are fewer free agents out there than there have been in years past. I think as you're now starting to see in social media, there have been more than a couple of offers. You have to accept an offer for someone to know about it more often than not. And I think some of the things you've seen in the early months, I suppose, or the, the midway point of this offseason market is that what major league clubs have valued going in is bullpen. 
and the bullpen were the, the guys were flying off the shelves. So I think in order in a pecking order, teams went in with a series of of wants, and most of their wants existed in the bullpen. And and those guys flew off the shelves. I think at very high rates of pay for longer contracts than than is typically seen with the the bullpen. And the rest of the market is just moving a little slower. I also think that what you're seeing here is an element of, and I don't, I hesitate to use the word tanking, but I will. <laughs> you know, if if your intent is to rebuild through intentionally not winning games or or not effectively trying to put the best team that you can on the field. That generally shrinks the the number of teams that are out there surfing sure. through the free agent market. So, w- with a number of teams who have taken taken at least one, if not two or three steps back in, in terms of resetting their roster, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of aggression in the free agent market from those teams. And generally, there are th- more and more of those teams with each passing year, uh, which leads a, to another series of. of points or discussions that we can have in terms of rebuilding. But in this particular instance, I do think that there's going to be a natural drag on the market because there are fewer teams looking to compete for those types of players. And what you did see was that the the, the premium in the market was paid for relievers because that's what everybody's got their eye on. Wade Davis, three years, $52 million. The Rockies are assembling like the most expensive bullpen in the history of mankind. You and I have talked on this podcast about this evolution that we're seeing and we have seen going from starting pitchers to relievers and stockpiling the bullpen. I mean, we're seeing it in Colorado right now in front of us, aren't we? Oh, and and in other places. You know, this is similar to what the Yankees did over the last two years with, you know, Chapman and Batances and David Robertson now and Tommy Canely. It's a really good group. The Rockies have put together an awesome bullpen. You know, Wade Davis, Jake McGee, uh, Brian Shaw, just this offseason. It, it's been a boon. They already had Adam Adovino and Chris Russin and Mike Dunn. It's a really solid group. I actually think it's brilliant in, in, in some way with the Rockies. They've got perhaps the youngest starting rotation in baseball. And they're all they've got they're six deep and they're all pretty good. None of them makes roughly more than league minimum. And they've got a very young position player group who are generally under control for a period of years. They had the ability to stretch their their payroll, and they took a chance to, to do it. It won't show up in return on, on wins above replacement. So when you do the math on what they spent for, for what they received, it probably won't look as as attractive as some other teams. But what they did was they took a chance at winning by spending their money in the place they could make the biggest difference for their team. And, and I thought it was really well done. You know, bravo to them. Well, we know, we, we know that you feel good about your bullpen and for good reason. Uh, how are you feeling in terms of just the final pieces? Are there final pieces for you to put together for this team going into spring training, or do you feel good where you are right now? Uh, I feel pretty good about our team. Our bullpen in particular, you know, with Eddie Diaz coming back, you know, what we believe is a healthy David Phelps is huge for us. And and uh, obviously the return of Nick Vincent, Juan Nicasio. That makes us, just those three guys, Phelps, Vincent, and Nicasio, makes us the only American League team to line up three setup men who are all coming off seasons of 20 or more holds. 
the only other team in the big leagues that can make the same claim is Colorado Rockies. Really? And, um, you know, it's a 29 holds for Vincent last year, was second in the big leagues, and both Phelps and Nicasio had 21. So it's a our, our setup crew is we feel pretty good about. Our young arms, guys like Pazos and Altavilla and Rumbelow, among others, uh, really excite us. We have to get a lefty guy in Mark Zepchinski, and we have the, the ninth inning in, in what we feel like is one of the better young closers in the league in Edwin Diaz. So, you know, that group we're pretty excited about. And even as it matches up with the pitching staff, we can get so focused sometimes in the moment. And right now in the moment, we're wondering about free agency. What can you do? Who can you access? What's the, the, the sexy piece you can go attain? And we're looking at it as we, we are – we had David Phelps for roughly 10 innings last year. We had Mike Leake for exactly five starts last year. We had Erasmo Ramirez for roughly a third of the season last year. You know, you add the three of those guys to our pitching staff and expect a full healthy season out of each of them. And I, and I feel like we've taken a fair step forward with our pitching without doing much else. And we're always open to, to finding ways to get better, not just today on you know, in the first week of January, but we're trying to find ways to get better all season long, as can be seen through the timing of those acquisitions. Let's take a little uh, fan question action here. Uh, Jerry, you know, this is a – the tentacles of the wheelhouse are wide-reaching. I just love when you say tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> I did it for you. Uh, hey, Josh is uh, listening from Sydney, and uh, he was interested in knowing a little bit about Kyle Lewis. Will we be seeing him uh, soon-ish? What is the update on Kyle? Uh, Kyle is right now projected to be healthy, which is – that that's first and foremost the key. He's been dynamic when he's been on the field, and we've seen it happen. Uh, we will not be bringing him to Major League Camp. We'll, we'll prefer to, to let him come along a little slower because he's trying to bounce back from this injury. And he'll either start at Modesto or in Little Rock over at Arkansas. And we'll, we'll let his, uh, his health determine his, his pace of, of progression. We hope that he finishes the season at the upper levels, you know, and, and probably limit that to double A for this year and puts himself in position in 2019 and beyond to be a, a big player for us here in Seattle. Uh, Steven uh, is curious about the uh, frequent flyer miles. Jerry, do you get all those miles that the Mariners fly? Is that how it works? Do they I, all go directly to your pocket? I just realized that I don't. When, when, <laughs> when you said that, I, I, there has to be some kind of card that, that would allow me to do this, but no, I don't. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Mossaman, our Mariners, the traveling secretary, is the one who reaps the benefits of that. You know, uh, Steven is – is very curious about the travel this year again the Mariners will travel more miles than anyone else and interesting question he's curious how the, you and the Mariners go about kind of handling the burden uh, of all the travel for the Mariners because I mean I think I read something the other day Jerry that the Mariners travel like three times more than the Reds right you know some team of the central like a couple of years ago when the Diamondbacks made the trip to uh, Australia Right, like the Mariners still traveled more miles than the Diamondbacks did that year, and they went to Australia. So, I mean, what do the Mariners do about this? Yeah, it is. I think in 19 of the last 20 seasons, or roughly thereabout, the Mariners have led Major League Baseball in distance traveled. And if you think about it, only we and the Marlins are on extremes of the country like that, just coastal extremes. San Diego, I guess, to a lesser extent. But we are consistently among, if not at the very top of, of the travel list in Major League Baseball. We tried in the last couple of years to, to do a couple of things to offset it. 
we underwent a sleep study for our players to determine effectively what the, the result of the travel type is on the player once he starts playing. So, and it, it would shock you. Look, by the third day of a road trip, coming off of these long trips, it's, it's almost like these guys are operating as if they were driving a car under the influence of alcohol. That's a, that is the effect of some of the mileage that they travel. So one thing that we've done is we've tried to really stress the need for rest and recovery. We built a sleep room. We, we have a room that is designated just for our players to go sleep, just to get a little rest. Uh, because we do travel a lot, we have started to leave a day before a series if we have an off day. Whereas before, we'd stay home for half our off day and, and then travel midday from Seattle out to the East Coast, let's say. Now we leave two days ahead of time so that our guys get a chance to acclimate in the other time zone. Uh, we do the best we can of getting them there as soon as we can and at a reasonable hour where they're not flying through the middle of the night. We have, we have generated, we put together an airplane that has roughly a first-class seat for every one of our players so they can recline and get in, in a sleeping position because we are going to be on flights of five-plus hours more than any other team in any professional sport. So to give them the opportunity to stretch out and try to recover in that way. But it does. It, it's kind of shocking when you've traveled as long as we have over the decades and, and when you first play for the Mariners, it really gets on you a lot quicker than you think it will. Do tell more about said sleep room. Do tell. Do tell. Uh, it's dark. <laughs> it's dark and has beds. There, we, we, there's actually a, a couple of massage and reclining chairs in there. There's a, there's a there are, I think two different beds, probably five different spaces where you can uh, lay down and get a little rest. Some of our players will take advantage of it before batting practice. Uh, some of them will come in uh, earlier in the day, and is, especially the guys with younger kids coming back from road trips, and just take a little time to, to get some quiet R and R. But you know, it's it's we have two different sides to our locker room. We have our player side where it's players, managers, coaches, the media has access, and then we have another side that's basically our high performance side, which is our weight room, our training room, and that's where we locate our our sleep room so that the guys just have. A little bit of solitude. Now, was this new for last year or for this year going forward? We put it in last year about mid-season. Okay. So about end of May we put it in, and, and uh, it got a lot more use than we were even expecting it would. So I'm glad we did. And just to wrap up the sleep study, I mean, does like Kyle Seeker give himself up to the sleep study? I mean, does he, does he wear something? Does he give his body to science? I mean, how does this how does this work? Yeah, I don't think Kyle did, but we did have about twelve players okay. that, that contributed. They wore bands, and you know, the band tracks the way they sleep, the the restfulness of their sleep, if they're getting through the night. You know, it's just the quality of their rest and recovery, and and we were able to learn something from it, and and as a result, we were able to adjust our travel plan. Frankly, it's one of the reasons why we put the, the night games into spring training was to allow our players to recover better. And this year we're going to initiate scheduled off days for players to try to do the same, just to give each of our players a chance to recover to the best of their ability. Well, Jerry, as we wrap up this uh, first episode of, of 2018, are you are you a resolutions guy? I'm not really a resolutions guy. My resolution is every day. I, you know, I, it's a, I'm fairly disciplined in having ideas and things I want to do better. And, and uh, you know, I do have a couple of ideas of what I want to do better. I haven't resolved to do them better by a certain point in time, but it is, it is a resolution of mine to, to become better. I want to be a better listener. 
You know, uh, I'm really good at talking. I want <laughs> well, to be a better listener. If you're, don't get too good of a become too good of a listener, Jerry, because this this podcast is going to really fizzle fast if that's the case. <laughs> you know, I, uh, my wife and I had a resolution last year, and that was uh, we had one, and that was to eat more crab. And Ooh, uh, yeah, we yeah. felt like we were pretty we were pretty good at that. Um, and in fact, uh, Christmas Eve we had this beats the hell out of me <laughs> listening. By the way, yeah, we had. Uh, we had some friends over. We had uh, two Dungeness crab and we had uh, two big Alaska king crab legs. So we felt like we capped, although it wasn't New Year's Eve, it was Christmas Eve, it was close enough to the end of the year. We felt like we capped the year very well with an exclamation of our resolution. So we, we don't know what our resolution is this year for eating more of fill in the blank, but we've not crab off the list. But we, it's, I think it's worth revisiting from time See, to time. See, I feel like what you just described to me, though, is you made a resolution to, to eat more crab. You did nothing for 364 <laughs> days I I, and I then had a bunch out, of crab. I left out 11 months worth. I don't want to say rigorous crab eating. <laughs> to uh, the extent that crab eating right, can like be we, we didn't bring tanks in, our, but, but we just made a conscious effort. We live in a wonderful part of the country, and one of the benefits of living here is that there is accessible and oftentimes affordable Dungeness crab. And we felt it was our responsibility to eat our share. That was was this a shameless plug to the crabber <laughs> the, the industry? Yes, of, this is this is a podcast. Is it's a PSA for the uh, Crabian Institute of the Northwest? You know, yeah. I think last summer uh, at the All Star Break, my wife and I, at, we you always have those three or four days off at the break. Oftentimes, we wind up working through those three or four days. Last year, we decided we were going to go do something. So mid summer, we we took off for the three days and we went up to Napa. Very nice. I do enjoy an occasional glass of wine. I, I do enjoy the, the culinary festival oh, that, sure. that is Napa. And, you know, we went up, we stayed in Yountville and, and uh, at a great time. And while there, I said to my wife, you know what? In my lifetime, I've never tried caviar. Don't know what it tastes like. And you, you want to talk about the price of Dungeons Crab? Oh, my crab? gosh. Yeah, there's a reason why I've never tried caviar. <laughs> and it's not going to be one of my resolutions to eat more of it. Was it year. good? It was awesome. I, I will really? say. Yeah. A little pop of saltiness. Was, okay. Yeah, I, I, I would recommend it. Uh, I don't, well, maybe we'll work up to that for 2019, maybe. Uh, I do have one last thing that I, I want to share with you because I think of all people that I know, Jerry, you will appreciate this. Uh, I am a, a big fan of John Sterling, the voice of the Yankees, because he is – uh, well, first of all, he's got great pipes. Uh, it is as entertaining of a broadcast as you can possibly find, uh, him and Susan Waldman. And uh, he's just, you know what, he loves coming to Seattle. He's just always so gracious to us when we're there or when he is here. And uh, over the years, as I've gotten to know John a little bit, I had the idea this year, I thought, I've got to get John Sterling to do my voicemail. Oh, how awesome. Right? Because uh, he's one of the few local big league broadcasters that I think I'll, probably most fans right know who John Sterling is. And so now the question is, and the challenge is, okay, well, you know, like, what do you do, right? I mean, what does he say? I mean, how do you make this from just being like, hi, this is John Sterling, you know who I am, this is Aaron's phone, leave a message. Um, and then I heard his home run call for Matt Holliday. Which I have not heard, so okay. now I'm on well, the edge of okay. my seat. Yeah. And so I thought, this is it. This is going to be it. And so now, then I like, even though I know John, like I'm not painting the picture like John and I are BFFs or anything, but like, you know, <laughs> it's kind of odd for like a grown man to approach another grown man and say, hey, can you record my voicemail? But I did it, and he kind of understood it and kind of didn't, and then he did understand it, and he recorded it. And I produced this, Jerry, which right now is my voicemail. But since, uh, you know, like the holidays are kind of, coming to an end they are over i i feel like i have to like go back to a normal voicemail 
But uh, Colin, I, I hope I don't blow up your microphone here. But this is this is my voicemail right now. And keep in mind, Matt Holiday, John Sterling. All right, that's what we're going with. Colin's Colin is sweating right now. All right, here we go. You ready for I'm this? I'm so excited. And that pitch is swung on and drilled to deep center. Jones going back, away back, on the track. It is gone. Three-run home run for Matt Holiday. Happy Holiday. Happy Holiday. <laughs> This is John Sterling, the voice of the New York Yankees. On behalf of my good friend Aaron Goldsmith, I'd like to wish you and yours a very happy holiday. Happy holiday to you. It is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. I'm, I, I thought you might enjoy it. Can I slip in something here? There's a, I, have, I, I received a phone call. Similar phone call. I'm not John Sterling by any stretch. <laughs> but I received a phone call during my, my vacation break in Hawaii when I was generally unplugged and, and sunning myself on shoreside uh, from Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com. Oh, yeah, sure. And Jonathan, he, he messaged me and he asked me if I would record a message to, to send to Michael. And forgive me, I don't remember Michael's last name, but Michael's job is to keep track for MLBpipeline.com of our top 30 prospects. Okay. And, and Jonathan Mayo messaged me and asked me to please record an apology to Michael for not allowing him any free time because he was always trying to manage the, the movement among our top 30 prospects. And he was hoping for a 48-hour reprieve where he could go take in Star Wars. <laughs> I said, sure, I'll be glad to do it. It was, it was not as, as grand as John Sterling, but, you know, I did a little video on, on, on the, the veranda, and we were, we That's were able terrific. to take care of Michael. Well, I'll tell you, your wife probably was not as frustrated as mine when I spent a solid, between an hour and 90 minutes producing this entire thing, you know, finding the music, cutting in the right spots. You should have seen John's face when I, like, I typed the script up on, on my iPad, and he recorded it probably... 10 minutes, 20 minutes before first pitch, the last meeting, Mariners and Yankees of the season at Yankee Stadium in our booth. And, I mean, here, you know, John's like on the air, right, doing his pregame show. And I put in this reservation with John to record my voicemail. But he's kind of doing stuff because it's his job. And we're getting closer to first pitch, and I'm looking at Kremen, and Kremen knows about this idea. And I'm like, yeah, man, this this is not going to happen, right? Like, we're too close. Like, he's doing stuff. We're on the air. He's on the air. Sure enough, man. 20 minutes to first pitch, visiting radio booth, Yankee Stadium, John Sterling pops in with this look like, okay, now what? Set up the iPad, gave him the recorder. He did the old the old school, like, cup the hand over the ear thing oh, can I? while holding the recorder. Did two takes of it. I have video and photos of him recording it. I'm like, this is... This is fantastic. Silky. I'm getting, yeah, like the, I'm was, getting the, the Frank Sinatra. Yeah. You know. So now, I mean, now I have my voicemail from, you know, the, let's call it, I don't know, November to mid-January. And now maybe this next year, if you have an idea of what I should have John record for me, you know, going forward. I, I, while I don't have an idea, I do have a recommendation. Okay. Do not use Colin O'Keefe to, to do the <laughs> recording. <laughs> Colin Otherwise, is, uh, I think it's spectacular. Colin is our fearless leader, uh, producer, <laughs> engineer. Always plugged in, Colin O'Keefe. Uh, hey, Jerry, this has been fun, man. Thanks for uh, starting the new year off right with us here on the wheelhouse. Nah, I love doing it. It's always fun. Man.